Welcome to the Badass Direct Sales Mastery Podcast with your direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Badass Direct Sales Mastery is a podcast for rock star direct sales moms who are determined to make their business kick ass. Jenny will share her knowledge of effective sales and recruiting techniques, tips to get what you want from your business, and will interview direct sales professionals and leaders from various companies. The interviews will give insight to how these rock stars got to where they are and where they plan to grow in the future. And now, the direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Welcome back to another episode of Badass Direct Sales Mastery. I'm your host, your direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger, helping you whip your business into shape. And I am so happy and excited to have Stephanie Paul here with us today because I met Stephanie through another friend who has yet to be on the show, but our friend Robbie March introduced us and Stephanie and I had an amazing conversation and I said, I have to have you on the show. So let me share with you why I have Stephanie here. Stephanie Paul is an executive coach who specializes in communication and storytelling. She wrote her book for those who desire achieving magical, effective storytelling and presenting skills that generate deep, authentic connections, engagement, and being able to influence any audience. Stephanie believes the key to powerful, commanding leadership and speaking presence is attainable through her training and within the pages of her book, Unlock the Magic of Story. So as you can probably tell, this is why I want to have Stephanie on because we, I know my audience, my badass crew wants to know how to be powerful and influential and great leaders and great communicators and story can help with that. So Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting. I am so happy to have you here because we had such a fun conversation the first time we talked. And I recognize that this was something that my audience would want to know about. So tell us how you got from where you were as obviously not starting in the U.S. <laughs> to telling telling and writing a book about storytelling. Give us the, the nutshell version. Uh, okay. Well, um, I'm from the deep south, also known as New Zealand, um, <laughs> southern uh, hemisphere. And uh, uh, I, well, I mean, I guess you could say I started learning about storytelling from a very young age because I started dancing when I was four. Um, you know, be the butterfly, be the butterfly in your little pink slippers, you know. Mm -hmm. um, by the time I was 10, I was doing drama. Um, I was doing singing classes by the time I was 12. I was in a performing arts school most of my teenage years, um, doing multiple different dance classes and things like that. Everything I've ever kind of done or had strong interest in, I've always been a coach in. So I taught dance, I did rhythmical gymnastics for several years, and then I eventually coached that. And then after having the wonderful opportunity to travel the world, for a few years, I decided I wanted to get into the acting world, but I didn't want to, I had a mentor who basically said, if you wanted to be a leader in something, you had to try try everybody's roles and sort of understand it holistically. So I went into the film industry as an actress, but when I wasn't on stage or on camera, I was backstage. You know, I was producing writing. I've worked in every department except for sound, including being an agent for a couple of years. I produced my first event when I was 21, which was the CK Fragrance launch in New Zealand. 
which is crazy. I mean, it's the crazy story. We don't need to go into that. But uh, since then, I've done a lot of events and uh, everything's a production. I look at everything as a production, whether it's uh, preparing for a job interview or, you know, it's uh, putting on a huge event for a thousand people. It's it's all a production. Any form of communication and messaging to me is, I look at it from a very holistic perspective. And then, you know, I did, when I moved to LA, I wanted to differentiate myself from all the other ladies out there that look like me as actresses. And that's when I went into stand-up comedy. I'd been doing improv at that stage for about four years. And I thought stand-up was the next step up the ladder to just differentiate myself and give myself some unique skills. Wonderful tool. Don't sound very funny right now, but... Um, <laughs> but we'll one, get to one, it. <laughs> yeah, one, oh, it's a wonderful tool for so many things, which I didn't realize until I stepped away from the entertainment industry and started my new career as a coach and a trainer. And then I had a, when I started that business, I had I sort of fell into it a little bit. It was somebody else's idea. They're like, you should do this in the corporate world. And I was like, don't be ridiculous. And there was an article in the local newspaper about me that I play the president of the United States in two international films, and they thought that was cool. Long story short, then two people reached out to me independently of each other and said, can you help me with this? And that's when I was like, maybe there's something to this. But I knew I had to learn a hell of a lot. And I got certified in a bunch of stuff. I knew that if I, I went into a niche market, which is biotech and technology, a lot of my clients are from um, those industries, that those guys needed help with messaging and engaging an audience and communication. But I knew they wouldn't like they wouldn't buy into the entertainment concept of it, like a storytelling or humor or uh, any kind of sort of acting kind of concept. So that's when I started studying the science behind how we communicate. Went down a big rabbit hole there, got certified as a laughter yoga trainer and leader, spent four years in the laughter yoga community, found some mentors who are human behavior experts and did a lot of training with them, read a lot of their books, a lot of them are you know, colleagues and mentors of mine now. I've trained at the Human Behavior Conference. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of what brought me to where I am today and how I ended up writing my book for my clients because... You know, it's faster for them to read the 100-page book to download my brain and get the concept of the way I approach storytelling and messaging and communication rather than me explain 100 pages. <laughs> right. So it was originally written for them, and then eventually we took it to an Amazon publication. So, Oh, that's awesome. So what you're saying is, is people, if they want to get the book, they can go get it on Amazon right now. Yeah, it's. I mean, the oh. Audible's not there, sorry, for those of you who don't like to pick up a book and read. It will be there eventually, but because of my background, I'm a little anal and I want to produce it so that it sounds like a movie, so that the stories oh. in there have the sound effects. And I, I, I've a colleague of mine who is also a human behavior expert from his background is naval intelligence. He's an amazing, amazing fiction writer, and one of his books he gave to me to read and I decided to buy it on Audible and it's done like a movie. It sounds phenomenal. Like, you know, wow. a, the car pulls up into the driveway and you hear the gravel and the, you hear the click, click and the door open and the book and stuff. And so I was like, I cannot, you know, do an Audible without making my stories and my book sound just like a movie because that's my background. So right. it's going to take a little bit longer than a t <laughs> normal Audible to produce. <laughs> That sounds amazing. Well, I can't wait until it comes out because I would love to hear that because I've of all the audibles I've listened to, none of them have done that. But then again, all of mine have 
all the ones I've listened to have been personal development, you know, kind of books. So they aren't necessarily in story form, you know. Lizzie, I mean, just to give you an idea, if you want to read it, it's written by Chase Hughes. It's the book's called Phrase Seven, and it's a spy novel. It's a really cool spy novel, and it has some great female leadership roles and male roles in it too. But uh, if you want to hear what it sounds like to listen to a book that's been produced like a movie, his book is really and it's a fun read. It's and it's really fast because it's you're essentially like wow, this is like a movie. Nice. Well, I have a few Audible credits, so I will be going and downloading Phrase Seven because I mean I want to hear what that sounds like. So. You've delved into the science behind storytelling, and let's let's get into that a little bit because my listener knows I'm a former science teacher, so I love the science, and my <laughs> background is psychology. Like I, I have a degree in psychology, so I love this. So why is it that storytelling is so powerful that we should be considering adding it to the way we present and do business and sell? Yeah. Well, essentially, the basics of it is it's pre-wired into our brains neurologically. So if you think about it from the perspective of before we had logic and reason and language, which is our neocortex brain, and that, that's wrapped on top of our limbic system, and underneath that is, the, is your uh, reptilian brain, we told story through nonverbals and you know cave paintings and things like that. So story has been pre-wired into our brains and our biology long before we ever had language. So when you think about it from a neurological perspective, when we get a message, it's given to us, you know, through touch, through sound, you know, that's how we receive through our five senses. And that message goes up into our spine and then it has to go through the reptilian brain first, which is at the bottom of our, the base of our head. And then, and then it goes through the limbic system. So we're going to have an emotional reaction to it regardless of what it is. And if those two brains see fit, they'll send it up to the neocortex to make logic and reason and understand the language portion of that message. So most people create messages with their neocortex, which is where language, logic, and reason lies, and they forget that that message, in order to get to the neocortex, has to go through those two very prehistoric brains first. And that's basically why storytelling is so amazing, because most people, when they approach storytelling, they approach it as a list. You know, I woke up this morning, I put my feet on the floor, I got out of bed, I went to the bathroom, and that is not storytelling. That yeah. is a list of facts. That's it. Storytelling is something that, that triggers our limbic system to go, ooh, ooh, I, ooh, what's this? So it could be novelty, it could be surprise, it could be, and if you think about it, a large percentage of how we communicate is nonverbal. You guys can't see me moving right now, but I'm moving my hands as I'm talking. I'm sort of Italian, you know, if you think about it from that perspective. But if I just explained it in something simple to say, you know, I love chocolate strawberries. They are delicious. Well, that's a fact. But if I said, oh, my God, I love the chocolate strawberries. They're delicious. That's the same fact, but it's wrapped up in story. So... Your brain heard it very differently. Yeah. The first time I said it, you were just like, uh-huh, I, I heard what she said. The second time, you probably started visualizing a strawberry, chocolate, what it tasted like. Oh, my God, that is one of my favorite desserts. So see the difference? Mm-hmm. So I, I literally just showed you in a very simple way that, that I, you know, the way we entice the brain is because it's pre-wired. So 
the way we deliver a message physically, verbally, written. The written word is important, but you know it still has to have emotional, tangible things in it so that we can latch on because we will latch on to story before we will latch on to facts and figures biologically. And a good friend of mine said to me once, there, there is data, facts and figures, and then there's the truth. And the truth is just your brain responding to those facts and figures wrapped up in story. Mm. I have heard the phrase before, and I'm sure I've said it at some point, because I've got like, at this point, 160 something episodes. Facts tell, stories sell. Mm -hmm. Right? Because people aren't going to remember the facts. But what you just said is, and reminded me of, is people will remember the emotion part of it because people mm-hmm. buy on emotion. Mm-hmm. And then they, on the back end of the sale, after they've bought from you, they rationalize the purchase with the facts. But they're not going to remember and the their emotions And their emotion. And emotion. But they, most people buy on emotion. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I want that. I need mm-hmm. that. Right? And Yeah. And like there's an old quote from my Anjali, which is super famous, and most people have heard it, which is people won't remember what you said or what you did. They'll always remember the way you made them feel. So when it comes down to making a decision, there's also, if anybody wants to, if, if your research geeks out there want to look this up, it's, it's in a lot of books, including Chris Voss's negotiating book, as if your, I think his book is negotiated as if your life depends on it. There's a neuroscientist called Antonio Damasio. He specializes in consciousness and subconsciousness. And a study that he did with a bunch of people, and he was researching them for other reasons, but he discovered this while he was doing the research project with a group of patients who had damage to the brain where emotions were created. So essentially some part of the limbic system was damaged, all of the patients that he was working with. And one thing he discovered is they could talk logically and reasonably about making a decision, but when it came down to the simplest of choice, they couldn't do it. So what happens in our brain when we make a decision, we have the logic and reason up in the neocortex portion of our brain, and it says, oh, I like the color of the car, I like the price, I like the the, the financing, you know, whatever, da-da-da. And then it goes back into our limbic system and it says, but how do I feel about that? And the limbic system has a huge buy-in with your logic and reason as to why we buy. So when you're talking about tell or sell, it's essentially when you talk to the limbic system, the limbic system will support the neocortex making a logic and reasonable decision. And I've got a great story where I was so excited that I, and I was on vacation, I came across this necklace that was in a stone that I'd been looking for, and it was perfect. It was exactly what I wanted. But I... And I bought based on the emotional excitement that I discovered. And I was like, I said to the woman I saw, is this the stone? I can't remember the name of it now. And she's like, yes. And I bought this necklace three times the price it should have been. And and she sold it to me. And I was so excited and so happy. And then, and I'd been reading a book on this particular stone. And this particular stone is kind of like a diamond. You know, when you buy it, it's supposed to come with a certification, you know, signed certification that it is actually that stone because some people rip it off with glass, like diamonds, you know. Right. And so I was so excited, I just assumed that it, uh, the price was right, whatever. And I go back in my memory log after I researched the necklace. I found the necklace a third of the price on a couple of different websites, exactly the same necklace. And I was like, God damn it, I was totally sold. 
you know, because I was so excited. I was on vacation. <laughs> and I remember this woman tearing the price tag off the necklace before she put it around my my neck in the store. But I at the time, I was so excited, I didn't see it. But mm -hmm. when I went back to, like, you know, think about, like, how did I get so sold on, like, da 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 you know, and how did I get so sold on something three times the price? So she was a bit of a charlatan, you know, and I even, I was so mad that I actually wrote her a letter because the only contact I had for her was the, the address to the store. I wrote her a letter and I, and I printed out necklaces that I'd found online at a third of the price. And I said to her, you know, I just said, I said, energetically, you obviously needed the money more than I did because that's the way the process happened. But I just want to let you know that it didn't come with a certification. Da, 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 you know, and here are two necklaces exactly identically the same for a third of the price. Well, she told me, wrote me back a letter and said that, you know, I, I how dare I accuse her of all this? But she gave me back two hundred and fifty dollars in a check. So <laughs> I thought it was rather interesting. But yeah, I got sold in that moment because I was so excited. It was something I believed that I wanted, but I didn't do the research. And I could have just done it on my phone. I could have just checked pricing and pulled up those necklaces on the on my phone and in the store going, you know, this isn't legit. Right. So Exactly. And the one thing I know about my listener <laughs> yeah, is they're well, not gonna pull that crap <laughs> because we live not. yeah, we live in Ohana here. So but what we can take away from that is to help create a story that allows people to to connect to that emotion part of their brain, that, that limbic system part of their brain to be able to help people make the decision to purchase or not, right? Mm -hmm. Because if the facts are all there and it's a good fit for both and the pricing is what it is because honestly, people in direct sales have no control over the pricing. The company controls the pricing. No. So the pricing is what it is. Then it's just a matter of, is this the right fit for them? And if so, let's now build in the emotional piece of that, you know, for them. So how can somebody begin to build in that the storytelling piece into, let's say, if they're a party plan, so they're doing a presentation in front of a group of three, five, eight, 12, 20 women. Mm -hmm. How can they build story into the presentation that might help work in their favor? Well, essentially, in those kind of scenarios, people often buy based on trust and rapport. So that's your first part of your story is how do you show up? So this, in the next book that I want to write, this might not be the title, but this is certainly the topic, the most powerful story you'll ever tell is the one between your ears. And mindset and belief system and how we show up um, non-verbally to others is incredibly important, and that's an incredibly important story. Um, you know, I was speaking to a group once, and this guy raised his hand, and he goes, can you tell a story without speaking? And I said, have you ever heard of a mime? Google Masao Maso. You know, and then and the older people in the audience laughed, and this kid was like, I don't know what she's talking about. Um, but that is, to me, one of the most key components of storytelling is how you, the storyteller, shows up. I had a client once who asked me to analyze her presentation. Uh, she sent me a video, and it was before COVID. And so we met in person, and the first thing I said to her in her boardroom was, before I went through the, my analyzation of her presentation, was what happened before you walked on stage? 
she's like, what are you talking about? I said, something happened before you walked on stage. What was it? Oh, there was this asshole backstage, blah, 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 blah. She starts, she was even angry in that moment telling me, so this guy must have really pissed her off. And I said, do you realize you took that asshole on stage with you and the way you felt about him through your entire presentation? And you came across like a crabby old bitch. And that's not who you are. And she was like, oh my God. She's like, you're right. And I, so how we show up is a massive part of our story. So what is the mindset that you're in? What is the emotional place that you're at when you get in front of that audience that you want to sell to? Mm. So my biggest thing when I'm about to present or I, I'm you know going to do online trainings and shoot video or anything like that is I chant joyous, focused and relax, joyous, focused and relax. And nine times out of 10, by the time I get to the third time I said it, I'm laughing my ass off because I find it really funny. But it gets me in this... <laughs> It gets me in this state of joy, of fun. And if you're not having fun, neither is your audience. Mm. So if you're not in a state of like, this is fantastic, this is exciting, I am so passionate about this product. Now, you don't want to be so passionate that people are like, ah, eh, put off, get the hell away from me, you know, because there's a, there's, a, there's a gray area there. Right. And then the second part of storytelling is reading your audience. And that's emotional intelligence is really not just reading what they say and everything, but reading their body language, understanding, you know, um, you know their, their behavior and how they're contributing or not contributing to the whole component of this presentation. So I look at stuff because of my background super holistically. Everything to me is a performance from the time you get out of your car and walk into that house where that party is until the moment you close all your deals and and send them their gifts or what whatever it is that they purchase. Like you know, I don't know how that works, but and then how do you follow up? How do you continue to build that story? So, in the, in just using your example as you know, being a, a party person like you know Tupperware or whatever, or the, you know those sex toys. I've been to one of those parties before. Yeah, uh, is having the stories behind the products that you're you're t- talking about. You know, I have this client and she has this, oh, she loves this product because da, 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 she does it with the kids. So you create a story uh, well, you tell a short story. You don't want to get into like too much detail, mm-hmm. but you tell a t- story that goes with each product that's maybe kind of entertaining or funny. And then the audience can actually see themselves in that story. Oh my God, yes, I like to use Tupperware that way. Oh my God, I've been looking for the perfect box to put the kids... Snacks and da, 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 whatever that is, do you know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. and when it comes to sales, the the best way to use story is to try and figure out your audience, who they are, what they want, what their needs are, and then match those stories so that they can see themselves in that environment. They can see themselves in that vision, in that scenario, with that product, and with the excitement and the passion that you have for that product or your client. You know. Oh my gosh. So I just had a light bulb moment because Mm -hmm. what I figured out is that is what I used to do in my own business because Mm -hmm. I was in a party plan business. And so when my team members would come watch me do a show and then they'd go and watch someone else do a show, a party, they always commented on the fact that I never started the party on time. (laughs) And they thought it was a, you know, um, that I just wasn't paying attention to the time or whatever. And I said, no, I'm getting to know the ladies in the room. So we're, 
we're not starting the presentation at 7 p.m. because the part the party and I'm putting air quotes around that is supposed to start at seven. That's just when we want everybody there by. Here's the thing. I need to know who's in the room. Uh-huh. So I know how to personalize this. So I would, you know, get together with the hostess and, you know, I would help her get everything laid out, you know, because there's always snacks and beverages or a glass of wine or whatever. And so we'd all sit around and be chatting. And I never wore a name badge that told everybody that I was the person doing the presentation. Uh I wanted people to interact with me as if I, I was just someone from the hostesses network who they just didn't know yet. Now, if they asked me, are you the person who's doing the presentation? I was honest and said, yes, I'm going to be. Yes, I'm the, the jewelry lady who's here. Uh-huh. But what I use that time for was to find out, OK, who are the nurses in the room? Because they're not going to buy rings because they wash their hands 700 times a day. But they're going to buy earrings or small necklaces that they can wear. You know, who are the teachers in the room? Who are, right? Who are the... That's getting to know your audience. And that's the same exactly. stand-up comedians. Really good stand-up comedians do that. They watch the audience coming into the room. And because stand-up comedians, just by nature for what we do, you know, we're good at reading behavior. Yeah. We're good at reading nonverbals. So we watch people come into the room. And if there's a comedian on before you, you listen to who they talk to. So you know who the young couple is, who the older couple is, who's got the anniversary, who's the... So you can essentially pull out your material that fits with the crowd. Because, you know, even riffing, uh, as a stand-up comedian, a lot of people are like, oh my God, he just like riffed off the crowd. It was like, oh, improv. And most of the time it's not. Some of it is. <laughs> but- Right. You know, there's always a guy in the audience with a red shirt. There's always a couple, there's always a, you know, a young couple that are not married, a couple that are married. Like, I mean, to the point where I literally one night, I was so on and so in my zone. I said to a guy, and I don't know how I knew this, but I looked at a guy and, and I think it was just his physical structure because I did triathlons for so many years. I looked at him and I said, you shave your legs, don't you? And his girlfriend started laughing her ass off. I couldn't see his legs. His legs were under the table. And and he looked at me like, what the? And he's like, yeah. And I said, cyclist or triathlete? And he's like, cyclist. And I'm like, mm. And then I just I just moved on. I just moved on. But the audience was just like, wow. Like I was this magical right. being. But all I did was read. I just read his physical, like how he how he showed up. And I got straight, I just got that he was either a cyclist or a triathlete because I've been around so many cyclists and triathletes for so many years. It was just an easy, and if I didn't get it, I could have blew it off to something else, you know. Um, But just we show who we are by the way we show up, Mm -hmm. by what we dress, how we dress. You know, part of the story is who is the tribe in front of you? You know, you don't want to show up wearing motorcycle leathers if you're in front of a bunch of old grannies that like to knit, <laughs> no, it, it just you you got to know your audience and really reading them and understanding them. That's what you were doing essentially is yeah. getting to know everybody, but noticing you know nurses don't wear rings and those things are super key to building rapport really fast and remembering people's names and little things about them. And before I knew any of this stuff that what I know now as far as our biology and our brains work. I had this uncanny knack of walking into somebody's house and there would be a really unusual piece of art or sculpture or some pillbox or whatever it is. I would always spot something in the house and I'd be like, 
this is really an interesting or it's a very unusual piece. What's the story behind it? And the host inevitably would light up like a Christmas tree and go, oh my God. And it was usually their favorite thing in the entire house. Like it was just so bizarre that I would pick on, pick it up. And But at the time, I didn't know that I was building essentially rapport and trust and all that kind of stuff organically. I just used to think it was it was something to ingratiate the host because mo- most of the time the host puts on all the food and the wine and they do all the work and never everybody just sort of goes and has a good time and doesn't remember them. So for me, that was a little way for me to remember them and have them acknowledged and then I could start a conversation with them and say, thank you so much for everything you did, blah, blah, blah. And now, of course, I know the biology behind it and how our brains work. But those little things are super key. I mean, just Brene Brown, for yeah. example, you know, the ad- Autonomy of trust. It's a talk on her website. But yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I could continue talking with you about all of this forever. I, so I feel like it, we need to have you back again <laughs> because <laughs> we could dig in so much deeper because all we did was start with the beginning part, which is how you show up, which yeah. is incredibly important because the difference is, especially, you know, when my team would come observe me doing my parties, they were seeing me in my 573rd show (laughs) (laughs) comparing and comparing themselves to me and they had done four, you know? And it's like, well, of course I'm going to walk in confident and who I am and knowing what's going on because it's, I've done it so many times. But I practice, showed up. Practice, 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 practice. Even exactly. if, as a keynote speaker, I will practice in front of my couch. I will put my pillows in order and, and look at my couch as if they are people. I put my notes on my music stand so that I'm not holding anything as I'm memorizing my, you know, and I perform. So when I practice, I perform. When I'm memorizing a script, I perform it. I don't do it by rote. I don't just read it out loud. I perform it with my voice, with my, you know, and as I go through it, that's where I usually find my comedy because I'll just come out with some, you know, I'll just start riffing in the middle <laughs> of my learning my keynote and I'm like, oh, that's really funny. I'll just change that, you know, and next thing you know, I've basically got it because I've learned the dance. I've learned the choreography. I've learned the physicality and the way I'm going to move and I know it. And your, your brain remembers it so much faster when you do, when you practice that way. Right. Right. Well, and so one of the things that I do on the side of my coaching business that is a recent thing for me is doing voiceover work. And one of the things that I've noticed is so interesting to me because I'll do a first read for something. I'll do a second read. And then the third read, I always go like over the top, what feels like way over the top, like too much emphasis and excitement or whatever's going on in whatever script has been handed me. And inevitably, they pull the one that I think is over the top. <laughs> That's the one they use. If you Google famous actors doing the voiceover to cartoon characters, uh-huh. you'll see how super over the top they get in the, in the audio studio because in order to be to show happiness in your voice, you can't show it in your face. You've got to be like, I'm so happy right now. And if you you guys as an audience can't see what I just did, but I just went super big from a ver- non-verbal performance. And when I'm doing voice, I still do the occasional voiceover for clients and stuff when, they, when they're like, we don't want to hire an actor, you just do it. And I'm like, you're still going to pay me my actor's fee. Yes. <laughs> you know? 
So I dance with my hands when I'm doing voiceovers. Like if I have to go up, I level up. And then I like, if I have to stop here, you know, I mean, I do weird. I am probably one of the weirdest, most entertaining like voiceover people <laughs> to watch because I have to get the tonality and the, you know, just perfectly. So I have certain little tricks that I do with my physicality to get the tonality perfect, if that makes any sense at all. But it yeah. does. No, it makes perfect sense because it, that helps get the whole body into it, including the voice, the tongue, the teeth, the lips, the the cheeks, all the things that are part of that. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I actually am working on with my clients now is we do these other people would call them affirmations. We call them contracts because this is something we that is true about ourselves that we are putting out into the world and helping reinforce in our brains by saying it out loud. Sure. And one of the things I always I can tell because what they do is they have to send me a recording of their contract, vocal recording. I need to hear them say it every day. That's part of the rule. That's and cool. They send it to me. And I always, almost always for like the first couple of weeks, end up sending it back going, smile when you say it. Uh -huh. You didn't smile when you said it. And they're like, how did you know? And I'm like, because I can hear the smile in your voice or not. And uh -huh. I need the smile because we need to train the brain that what they're saying is a good thing, that they're not just doing it from memory because the brain yep. associates the smile with uh -huh. the happy stuff. And then it puts it into the way they say it and I can hear it. I've helped a lot of biotech companies raise a lot of money, you know, over the years. And these guys normally approach it, you know, the, hi, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here today. We're very excited to have you. We're really excited about our product. And I'm like, <sighs> you've got to be kidding me. I yeah. My limbic system has gone to sleep. It doesn't yep. even believe the word you're saying. If you're not excited, like I said before, if you're not having fun, neither is your audience. If you're not passionate or excited about the product, why the hell should they? Yep. So we have to use our nonverbals and our biology in order to engage our audiences. And that to me is far more important than getting the story perfect. Because we've all been at a wedding or a funeral or a gathering of, you know, close people that know each other for a long time. And somebody says, does anybody else have something they want to say? And somebody will get up with no notes, no speech, no practice, no rehearsal, but they just feel compelled to share a story or say something in the moment. And we laugh and we cry and they were the best speaker of the day because they got up there with their nonverbals, their engagement, their passion, their emotion, and they spoke to our biology. And that is more important than getting the words right. Oh, okay. We're going to put an exclamation point on that <laughs> and wrap it up there because, oh my gosh, like I said, I could talk about all of this with you forever. So we're definitely having you back to go deeper. Um, okay. But before we have you back, we do have, you have been so kind to provide a gift for the Badass Crew, our listener who's listening right now. Tell us about the powerful gift. Oh, the powerful gift is essentially it's it's a PDF download. I can't remember. It's about thirteen pages. It's twelve steps to powerfully engaging any audience. So it's components of my book. It's not my book, obviously, but it's some little tidbits and tricks to use towards engaging an audience, like people, you know, presence, pitch, all those kind of things. So essentially, a lot of the stuff that I talked about today, but it's in written format. 
and it gives you 12 tricks and tips to engage an audience. Ah, that is brilliant. What a great, easy way to ease somebody from not knowing this stuff to getting started with some really easy, tactical, strategic things that they can implement. And then, of course, if they want to take it deeper, go get the book. Guys, let's see. I want to make sure I get the title right. It is Unlock the Magic of Story by Stephanie Paul. So Uh get the book guys now for the gift for those of you who would who want that powerful gift the link is in the show notes now for those of you if this is your very first time ever listening to an episode here's how you get to the show notes as long as you're not driving grab your phone right now click on today's episode and then all you have to do is just scroll up a little bit and you'll see a bunch of writing and you'll see stephanie's bio and then all of her links and then in a big bold section, you're going to see here's Stephanie's powerful gift and there will be a link directly to it so you can go download that PDF and get access to it right now. Stephanie, thank you for your generosity and for this con- this amazing content that people can use right now. This is amazing. Cool. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. I seriously love this. I, I'm not kidding you. I could talk for days, <laughs> talk for days to you. You fascinate me. Stephanie, thank you. Thank you again. And badass crew, thank you for listening. And if you found this particular conversation inspiring, motivating, and actually something that you can use in your own life and business, please share it with a friend because they probably will also find it inspiring, motivating, and something that they can use in their life and business. So thank you again for listening. And Badass Crew, you know how this goes. Stay tuned because there is another Badass episode on its way. Thanks for listening to the Badass Direct Sales Mastery Podcast with your direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Why are you waiting to go to BadassDirectSalesMastery.com? Don't make the Dom get her whip. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with another rock star that you know in direct sales after you subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. You can also check out the show notes for links and any contact information mentioned in today's episode. We'll see you next time.